He's no nonsense, speaks his mind, says what you're thinking, and other horrible cliches. Stand up with Pete Dominic. Indy, Sirius XM 104. Welcome back. Joining me in the conversation for this hour is a young man named Kirk Johnson, who is uh, the author of a really important new book titled To Be a Friend is Fatal, The Fight to Save the Iraqis, America Left Behind. Uh, he has fought for years now to try to bring Iraqis who uh, who worked with Americans uh, to America, uh, which uh, he and many of us think are really part of our responsibility uh, for uh, our invasion and really what most of us think, starting the war in Iraq. And we've been talking about Kirk's uh, service and USAID and, uh, and then his uh, accident that he had while on vacation, never returning to Iraq. Uh, after that, he went into a deep depression, wasn't sure what he wanted to do, but wanted to leave Iraq behind, uh, was studying for the LSATs. Uh, Kirk, what, what, uh, what brought you back to Iraq? You know, at least it was, your focus uh, at first. It, it, was a, uh, it was a single email. Uh, it was an email from one Iraqi colleague of mine, a guy named Yagdan. Uh And, you know, the... The thing is, I, I, I was the only uh, American at USAID in Iraq that spoke Arabic. And so uh, the only reason I mention it is as a result of that, I became close friends uh, with the hundred or so Iraqis who were risking their lives every day to get into the green zone uh, to help us in our mission. And one of those Iraqis, uh, you know, for years, he had, he and others had been sort of concealing their identity and slipping through these checkpoints, which are routinely sniped at and mortared by militias who are, are trying to attack those who are working with the Americans. And he had survived for several years, but one day he slipped up, somebody recognized him. And the next morning he woke up, found a, a severed dog's head on his front steps, uh, and there was a note right next to it that said that unless he fled, that his head would be next. And he not only not note. only were they saying whoever these uh, uh, people were that were making threats that he he had to stop working for the U.S., but he had to leave. He had to leave exactly. There was no and and most of these threats that are issued to these Iraqis that that workforce they they're given forty eight hours at most seventy two hours to get out of the country not to move to a different province or anything, it's, you're done. And my friend races over to the green zone, to the U.S. government, with the threat letter and says, you guys have to help me, they're going to kill me because I'm working for you. And they looked at him and basically said, tough, you're on your own. Uh, we will give you two weeks of unpaid leave to sort out your, your problem here. And if you're not back by the end of those two weeks, we're going to give your job to somebody else. And what so was his job? They, he helped us on a uh, it was a hundred and thirty million dollar program to rebuild uh, Iraq's schools and to train new teachers uh, to get school supplies to to the children of Iraq. Uh, desks. Uh, I mean, it was the whole the whole gamut. Um, this was not a guy who was like, you know, helping Americans kill Iraqis. He was just helping us try to put kids back in school. And as a result of that assistance, uh, by helping us to, you know, translate documents to meet with ministry officials and things like that, 
as a result of that assistance, um, you know, he basically lost his country uh, and was seen as a traitor and and marked for death. And yet, uh, after years of faithful service to the United States, uh, I mean, he was basically just brushed off with, with no help. And so he and his wife frantically packed everything they could into a couple bags, and they fled to Dubai, and he ducked into an internet cafe, and he sent me an email asking for my help and telling me what had just happened to him. And, you know, at the time, I was so done with Iraq, I was, I, you know, I I was trying to just repress that, that sense that I had failed. But, you know, to be honest, his email came in, and it was just this, like, night and day shift where it occurred to me that maybe if I could help this one friend of mine um, who was asking for my help, that maybe I would have one tiny little victory to hold on to instead of focusing on all of these failures. But I didn't, I mean, I didn't know the first thing about how to help a refugee or anything. I mean, I was, I didn't know anything about it. I just, I just knew that I was pissed off about the U.S. government and how they had treated him, and so I sat down and and wrote an opinion piece about it for the Los Angeles Times. Uh, and this was December 2006, which it's hard to believe it's been that long ago. Um, but that that piece ran, and I, I really thought the morning that it ran that someone else would just read it and just do something give my friend a visa <laughs> right right it was a pretty pretty naive uh uh understanding of, of how this was going to play out you know and that was the beginning because once you that your piece wrote uh, ran in the la times uh you find out that there are hundreds of, of iraqis uh and, that are in a similar situation um and and there are other journalists that know about this situation what what happens next Basically, as soon as that piece ran, I started to receive emails from other Iraqi colleagues, from friends of those Iraqi colleagues who worked for other American agencies. And, I mean, by the end of the first day, I think I had something like 100 uh, different uh, Iraqis or families who were writing to me for help. And I didn't know what to do. I, I didn't. I mean, I just was completely clueless, and I, I thought all these people were making a huge mistake. I mean, I I was broke. I I was unemployed. I was stealing Wi-Fi from the neighbors. I mean, I, <laughs> I I was I was not like I was not Schindler for all of these. You know, I was just yeah. this punk kid that had 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 written something, hoping that somebody else would would solve it. But the, the reality is that the last seven years of my life are have essentially been an attempt to to cope with the response to that op-ed. I mean, I, I I started by entering all these names into a list, and ten names grew into a hundred, a hundred grew into a thousand, a thousand grew into thousands, and I I've done everything from bringing this list, which now weighs hundreds of pounds of worth of binders bringing it to the State Department and cajoling them, talking with journalists to try to raise awareness, working with senators to pass legislation and, and testifying. Um, and then, in my opinion, what's most important is um, 
what the List Project does, we've, we've marshaled hundreds of attorneys from these top law firms throughout the country. And so every Iraqi on my list has access to their own free lawyer that helps them navigate this wow. process, which is basically designed to reject them. Um, Why ma and, make the... Make the case, Kirk, before we go any further, uh, because there are some uh, that are skeptical uh, that we should uh, allow uh, these Iraqis who helped Americans into America, because that's the goal, right, to get them here? Right, that is the goal. So, so um, I know you got a lot of hate mail uh, from a lot of people <laughs> when they found out who you were. Uh, you know, for, forget these people. They're Muslims. Uh, they're you know they're terrorists. Whatever. I'm sure you heard just about everything. Why should? Why is it our responsibility? Why is it the United States government or or, or the public's responsibility to uh, bring these people uh, from Iraq who helped us uh, to America to live here? Why should people support that idea? That concept. Because these Iraqis have done more for our country than the overwhelming, overwhelming majority of Americans have ever done. The Iraqis on my list have had, they have literally lost their limbs dragging U.S. soldiers and Marines out of firefights. They've had their faces scalded off. They've had their children abducted. Their wives have been raped. Their brothers and sisters have been murdered. They've, all of this has happened to them because they stood by the United States of America. All of this has happened to them because they're seen as our friends. And they not only helped us as interpreters in, in, in that function, they literally brought food to us. They fed our troops. They, they unpacked our materiel for our troops. They brought us tips on insurgents and helped us, you know, uh, counter the insurgency. We could not have functioned without these people. And so I guess, from my opinion, my take on this, there, there are two main reasons. There's a moral argument to be made, which is that I, I don't want to live in a country that screws these people over. I don't want, I don't want to be an American in this country if, if this is the way that we treat our friends. But if you don't buy the moral argument, then take the strategic argument, which is wh why the Pentagon gets this and why my friends in, in uniform understand this. If we are known as the country that abandons those who step forward to help us in conflict, why on earth would anybody ever help us in the future? And, you know, I, you know, I know people are tired of, of hearing about Iraq and everyone thinks that the war in Afghanistan is already over, even though it's not. So we're not done fighting wars. We've been fighting wars for the something like 70% of our existence as a nation. Um, and so we're fools to think that anyone's going to work for us in the future if, if this is the, the reputation that, that we incur. And so to me, there's a, there's a uh, I mean, it, this cuts right to the heart of, of who we want to decide to be as a nation now after 12 costly and painful and draining years of warfare to me it's a simple question have we do we still have the ability to make this simple distinction between our enemies and our friends who are fleeing those same enemies and if we can't make that grade school distinction because we're so terrified of muslims 
systematically racist against brown people, sorry to say it. Um, you know, it's, it's difficult for me to swallow these lines then that, you know, the terrorists hate us for our values because I don't really see many values at play here. Uh, we're talking sorry to Kirk to John. <laughs> uh, yeah, Kirk Johnson uh, is on Twitter, at Kirk W. Johnson. If you'd like to tweet him, uh, follow him, uh, and more importantly, he's an author of this book. Uh, about his mission to be a friend is fatal to fight to save the Iraqis America left behind one of the concerns there are a lot of comparisons made with with uh, your mission what you're trying to do and what was done uh, at the end of the Vietnam War uh, and you document that very well in your book uh, including a conversation uh, that that uh, was on the record that uh, Henry Kissinger had about trying to get uh Vietnamese uh, that helped us Vietnamese refugees out of there before the North uh, slaughtered many of them and uh, obviously uh, took over uh, the communists took over but but um, the one of the big concerns in this in, in the difference in this situation at least according to the Bush administration their State Department uh, and I wonder uh, how much uh, of a change uh, the Obama administration has been on this is that there's a security concern that um, we got to make sure that these Iraqis, before we let them into America, uh, that they're they're not a, you know, they're not they don't want to come here to hurt Americans. Um, I guess that that's the concern, uh, and that might be the concern of some people listening. What do you say to that concern? You know, I would say, uh, as as an American who has <laughs> lived in Fallujah. Um, and I don't normally wheel that out, but I feel like I need to occasionally to remind maybe your listeners that I'm not some naive kid that thinks everyone in the world is good and there are no bad people. I'm aware of the fact that there are bad people out there and there are people that would like to harm the United States. Um, but the idea that an Iraqi who has to undergo, undergo background uh, checks in order to work for the Americans in Iraq, who has to routinely undergo polygraph examinations in order to continue working for the Americans in Iraq, whose retina are scanned, uh, whose you know, fingerprints are scanned, uh, who are federal employees, um, and who are frankly being referred to my organization, to the List Project, they're being backed and vouched for by U.S. Marines, by soldiers, by officers, all the way up to generals, by aid workers, by diplomats, by other Americans who are trying to help them out. These are the most documented refugees on the face of the planet. There are no other refugees that have served the United States like this and who have Americans vouching for them. So when I... You know, I understand the, the security concerns, and I'm not, I've never advocated for some sort of like willy-nilly approach to this, but it's absurd when you look at the totality of the evidence and the totality of the documentation that these Iraqis are fleeing with. We know who these people are. They had years to inflict harm on us. But in fact, they're the ones that are, are being hunted by the, by the same terrorists that we think they might be. And so it's a, uh, to me, you know, I, this is what I come up against in the Bush White House and in the Obama White House, White House. And all they do is they explain away bureaucratic incompetence by saying that they're just keeping us safe. But the reality is that there's, they don't care about these people. They're not going to get reelected by helping refugees. And they know, frankly, that the American public isn't going to beat them up 
for abandoning them. Unless this all seemed like, you know, uh, baggage tied to a, a long-finished Iraq war, the exact same story that started playing out for me in 2006 and 2007 and for millions of Iraqis, that story is now playing out in Afghanistan. And the same process is, is unfolding whereby those Afghans are, are basically up against the same unmoving bureaucracy that treats them as terrorists the minute that we no longer need them and the minute that they need us. How many people uh, on your list uh, have you helped find refuge in the United States? We're just about at 2,000 now on my list. How many more uh, are there on that list? There are, right now, there's about 1,500 officially on the list, but many more who are officially on it because it's very difficult for me to, uh, uh, I, I can't make a, a commitment at this point because it takes, if, you know, it's a new Iraqis who are writing to me, it can take two or three years to get one of these people out. And I never have more than six months or eight months left of funding because nobody, it's, I'm not criticizing the donors or anything, but it's hard to keep Iraq-related nonprofits funded at this point. Um, and I've already had to lay off staff, and I had to, I had to fire myself a month ago. So, um, so not to pull a sob story here, but it just means that um, it, it's affecting the the size of the list. Uh, in your book, you have a segment of a speech from Senator Obama when he was campaigning about these exact people that we can't leave behind. Uh, wh what has changed since he became president? Yeah, you know, that speech, um, every now and then I look at it and I just, now I just shake my head because, you know, Obama went into office having clearly articulated uh, an obligation to these Iraqis and he blasted the Bush administration for its slow pace of processing. And, you know, Obama got elected and suddenly I had some access to the White House and I was going to these meetings with his advisors. But I just watched over the next several years as, um, I mean, the excuses that they offered up for inaction sort of morphed into the same excuses that the Bush administration did. And, I, you know, I think in the end, the Iraq war was, was never Obama's war, and he just wanted to get out as quickly as he could and to hell with the consequences or with the longer-term uh, responsibility of protecting these, these Iraqis. Um, and so now, as a result, if you are an interpreter and you get a threat today and you go to the U.S. Embassy in Baghdad tomorrow, you are looking at a two-year wait before your very first interview. And this is at the largest embassy on the face of the planet and in the history of the human race. And this is the best that the superpower of America has to offer these people who work for us. We have a guy who's uh, right now as we speak in Afghanistan listening to the program. He says, at Kirk W. Johnson, great appearance with that Pete Dominic, fascinating stories. And then he tweets, Mr. Johnson is nailing a huge problem in Afghanistan as well. The locals know we're leaving and the Taliban isn't. So um, what what are you asking as we wrap up here and as I look uh, uh, at CNN is covering the outrage over Halloween costumes and we're talking <laughs> to Kirk Johnson about the, the List Project. Uh, 
just a, a plea for help. Um, plug anything you want and, 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 and ask our audience uh, what they can do if they believe in making a difference on this issue. Well, if people aren't, aren't tired of hearing my stories, I do think they should go out and get my book. But if people want to help the List Project, uh, they can go to thelistproject.org. And, and one of the really concrete things, I know, I know it's tough for, for folks to, to make contributions, but here's a real concrete thing. In the next uh, 60 days or so, end of December, this piece of legislation that we fought for uh, to protect these Iraqis is going to expire again. It expired on October 1st, and we got a 90-day renewal. People who are listening who care about this, they should write to their members of Congress. They should write to their senators and say, please reauthorize the special immigrant visa program for Iraqis and Afghans who worked for America. And you can find info on this on org. But, you know, it, it may seem like, you know, Mr. Smith goes to Washington, but these letters actually do work if they're if they come from a constituent to their own members and on a particular issue like this they need to let their congressmen know that we need to keep the doors open for these people kirk johnson thanks for joining us appreciate it man yeah really really impressive stuff all right to be a friend is fatal is the book it's amazing go get it write a letter listproject.org stand up with pete dominic for more Stand Up with Pete Dominic, go to SiriusXM.com slash indie.